Hi, welcome to Meta Minute, your bite-sized pieces of the Metaverse. My name is Rene from Reply, and today we're going to cover developing with the MRTK for AR, VR, the Metaverse, and beyond. All of this. And for that, I'm very honored to have a special expert guest today, Grace Shu. Hi, Grace. How are you today? Hi, Renee. I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me here. It's an honor. Well, it's an honor that you are uh, with us today and uh, we can chat about the MRTK and, and film things. <laughs> but let's keep it in the order we usually do. Uh, please introduce yourself to our audience. Um, tell us a little bit about your background as it relates to your know, 3D, AR, VR, Metaverse, all of that. Yeah, happy to. So I guess starting off, uh, I went to MIT and I studied computer science with a concentration in theater arts. And I've always been really interested in the intersection of art, storytelling and technology. And in particular, like applications that make people more connected to the people around them and to the world around them. And so that's what really drew me to XR. And so after graduating, my first job was over at Microsoft HoloLens. And I worked on a few different things over at HoloLens, but the two most notable ones were first Microsoft Mesh, which is sort of their version of this virtual, immersive, like in, uh, collaborative world. And something similar to if you know of like Altspace VR or Meta's Horizon Worlds, Microsoft Mesh is pretty similar to that. And I also was leading the Mixed Reality Toolkit team um, at Microsoft. It's also known as MRTK. And for those who don't know what MRTK is, it's the leading cross-platform development framework for XR apps. And so it provides a lot of like rich 3D spatial UI and spatial interactions right out of the box. Yeah. And so I did that for a little bit. And right now I'm currently a senior product manager at Magically. I'm focusing on the software side of things. And so in particular, a lot of my work revolves around the developer ecosystem. So making sure people have the right tools that they need to build on our platform and making sure that their experience on our device is a great experience. Awesome. And we will dive into the MRTK a little bit later. And thank you for actually telling what MRTK stands for. I just skipped <laughs> over that and assumed everyone knows what the MRTK is. But you're a pro. You actually have to explain it. So, But let's talk a little bit later about it. Um, you also alluded to Mesh and, and other uh, platforms. But let's start with a simple but also complex question. What is the Metaverse for you and where do you see the potential? Yeah, so I guess to start off, now this might be a little controversial, Renee, so hear me out. Yeah. I don't really like to use the term metaverse. And the reason why is because I feel like nowadays it's such an overloaded term. Like there's so many different definitions for the metaverse. And when I use it, I've noticed that it tends to confuse people. But I do think it's sort of something that's really important to understand sort of like on a higher level. And so how I like to think about the metaverse is that it's not so much an actual like physical thing, but it's more of a concept, a vision. And it's a vision that's constantly evolving as like more and more people are entering the field and more people are sort of working on this. And I really think of the metaverse as it's sort of a vision for how we want a more immersive and interconnected world and something that bridges between sort of our physical and digital realities. And I think that parts of the metaverse can incorporate like these different technologies that we're seeing today, things like AR, VR, avatars, even like computers. And 
like the things that I mentioned before, like Microsoft Mesh, um, Meta Horizons, these I think are just like some of the current interpretations of the metaverse. And why I think this area is filled with potential is because I think there's just endless possibilities. So like these are the current interpretations, but I think like depending on who's working on it and what different, how our AR, VR, other technologies evolve, I think the metaverse can sort of become something even greater. And what I want sort of people to understand is that like I view the, the, view the metaverse as not really like a thing. It's a constantly evolving vision with many interpretations. And I think that's what gives it so much potential. I, I really like what you just said. And like I said, I, I always ask the, the same first question to pretty much every guest. And the diversity of answers I get is just <laughs> and I, I And I find a lot of things in each of the answers. And that's, that's the cool part about it. And that's also what you were saying, right? It's just a convoluted term. The metaverse, it, it, it's, it's everything and nothing, right? So, <laughs> so let's rather focus on the implementations, on the features, on mm -hmm. what makes those good. And I also love what you said in the introduction about yourself, right? That you were um, attracted into these kind of collaborative worlds and how we can interact with each other in these metaverse platforms. And yeah, no, I, I fully agree. I think that's that's the most important point is not the term itself, but what can we do in these um, experiences, in these virtual worlds, in these um, you know immersive kind of settings um, and uh, previously, I also recorded an episode with Andy Fidel, and she actually uses the term um, spatial networks and spatial networking, which I think is also pretty cool because it focuses more on the collaboration aspect. And, you know, that's actually a social experience. There's a lot of people when they hear about the metaverse, they think, oh, oh, yeah, people put on these headset and then they're so isolated. And, oh, gosh, that's terrible. In the end, it's a very social experience, right? Like, right, it is. It's very immersive, collaborative, like... Yeah, I, I totally agree. I don't want to be all isolated. And it's not like that at all. Yeah. And, but first, uh, uh, sorry, uh, second, actually, let's talk about uh, what do you think are the biggest gaps in XR today in extended reality? Now, I love that question, Renee. And I, the reason why is because I think in order to understand where the opportunities are, we first have to understand sort of what are the gaps in the industry. And I think right now, by far, the biggest gap in XR is content. We simply just don't have enough content, Renee. And not having enough content, it's like having a phone without apps. Like, it's a nice piece of hardware, but you can't really do all that much with it. Now, of course, I'm exaggerating a little bit. Like there are some really cool, amazing apps that you can run right now on different AR, VR headsets. And one of which in particular that I really loved was Graffiti 3D. Now, Renee, have you ever drawn in 3D? Oh, yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's such an amazing experience. Like people who haven't drawn in 3D before, I highly recommend like you've got to go check it out because it's like it's so weird and different. Like the first time that I like drew a line in space and I could like walk around it and I could like poke my head in the art, like look under over it. It was like a mind blowing experience. And so something like that, we need more of that, Renee. We need more content. And that's sort of why I think it's so important to have a vibrant developer ecosystem. And I know that XR is still like a fairly nascent industry. Like now more and more schools are starting to teach like XR courses in class and people are figuring out sort of what are the best apps to build, what opportunities they want to pursue and so forth. 
And another thing is, I think currently most people are used to building uh, 2D sort of mobile flat apps. And it's a whole new way of thinking going from sort of the flat screen world to this new 3D world where you have the entire world at your disposal. Like it's, you're not limited to just a screen anymore. And sort of that's the goal of my work and with MRTK to sort of pave the way for 3D development, to make content development easier and to enable sort of like more people to join in. Yeah, that's that's awesome. That's a very nice motivation. It's like making it also a little bit more democratic, allowing more people to join that space, right? And so that leads me to how would you get started um, if you want to develop in the field of XR? Uh, what tools, frameworks, foundation would you recommend? Yeah, that's super important. So I think I like to think it as like a few different layers. And so I think the first layer right now that people should get started with is sort of understanding the different like game engines that you can use when building for XR. And right now, the two biggest ones are Unity and Unreal that people use in the industry. And in my experience, more people tend to use Unity, sort of from my experience interacting with different developers and ISVs. Unity definitely um, is the more sort of dominant engine. So I'd say if you do want to sort of just start off with one, I'd recommend starting off with Unity, going to look up some courses, sort of just understanding um, how it differs from like traditional like maybe 2D mobile development. And then after sort of understanding the game engine level, I'd say sort of it's really important to have like some sort of like framework to build your XR app. And I'm personally a big believer of build it once and deploy it everywhere. And that's where MRTK comes in because MRTK is a cross-platform development framework and it's built on top of OpenXR. And sort of what that means is it will run, Renee, on basically every single OpenXR device. And most days, like now, most devices are on top of OpenXR. And so you simply just need to build your code once and then you can target all the different devices everywhere. It's like a very scalable framework. And also it allows you to not reinvent the wheel. So MRTQ provides a lot of these like buttons, menus, components, and these like different spatial interactions just simply out of the box. And so you could just sort of utilize that and then build even richer experiences on top of that. And so I think having like a solid understanding of the game engine layer and then also trying out like a framework like MRTK, that would really sort of be a good starting point to making something in XR. Yeah, yeah it makes, makes a lot of sense. Like learn learn the basic tool and then learn the framework, which makes your life much easier. And I still remember from the early HoloLens days, which was like, I don't know, 16, seven years ago or something like that. I don't know when we started. We were kind of <laughs> in an early phase, like, you know, the kind of early phase of HoloLens development. And the MRTK at this point was called the HoloLens Toolkit. Yes. Um, mm -hmm. And so the Holo Toolkit, I think, was it was a term before it was rebranded because the scope expanded right and you got the cross platform yeah. and it's not just it's not just whole lens um but yeah I, I remember you know in the beginning there was only a few building blocks and now it has grown so much and you can so much faster iterate and and develop uh, solutions without having to reinvent the wheel constantly and I, I really love the cross-platform support um that's an important aspect for sure because it's not just whole lens right there's the magic leap there's other devices on the market and it's important to, to support all of them because your customers might choose what they like. And if you have to port your solutions to all these different, like let's say device platforms, well, that's a huge undertaking, right? But if you have this kind of common stack, 
Um, this is the really, really awesome about the MRTK. Yeah, that's true. And if we want to make 3D development more accessible and more people to enter the field, I think this is something that's really necessary for that. Yeah. And the MRTK version 3 was just released. And I actually have two questions about it because that mm-hmm. it comes with two important changes. And the first one is, well, the MRTK, like I have been saying, right, it comes from the whole land. So it basically it comes from Microsoft. And yes. Microsoft had dedicated resources and also the project's oversight in the end. Although you could find it on GitHub, it wasn't really open source in a sense of that it, I mean, actually, no, I'm wrong. Actually, there were contributions by a lot of folks from the community. And the cool part about the MRTK, they were always taking into consideration with, you know, pull requests. And that was actually pretty awesome about it. Because a lot of these, you know, sometimes you have open source projects where they're kind of labeled as open source and you can find the, the code open on GitHub, for example. But like, it, it's just maintained by the company. There's no contributions by the community being accepted into the code base. And that was actually always pretty amazing with the MRTK. And uh, I also had one pull request in the whole Lens Toolkit in the beginning and then maybe some a few more later. Uh, but I know a, a lot of friends from the community, they did some also some, a lot of contributions. So that was good. Anyhow, I'm, I'm getting a little bit sidetracked. You know? <laughs> what I'm trying to say is, so Microsoft owned the MRTK kind of, they had the project's oversight, and this has changed recently. And the MRTK is actually now an independent organization on GitHub with a yeah. broader steering committee. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. And you're 100% correct. Historically, like Microsoft has been sort of like, I guess, quote unquote, the maintainers of MRTK, although we've always worked super closely with the community. And so we would work with the community on gathering sort of feature requests. We would review PRs with the community and also fix bugs with them. And now MRTK, it's become something even greater. And so you're right, we pivoted to this new governance model where we actually pulled it out of the Microsoft GitHub repo and we moved it into its new independent mixed reality toolkit repo. And sort of as part of this move, we've established this new steering committee to govern it. And right now the three players on the steering committee are magically Qualcomm and Microsoft. And this is super exciting and actually like, I I still can't believe it. And it actually makes me a little emotional thinking about this too, because like, it's sort of a nice blend of like old and new MRTK coming together. Like people like me on the Magic Leap side, Dave Klein and Curtis over on Qualcomm, like we're sort of like the original MRTK team who's like worked on it um, for a while over at Microsoft. And now we're like at these different companies and we're all coming back together again and working together. And honestly, Renee, in a way, this was like always the natural next evolution for MRTK. It's actually something that we started thinking about when we were building out MRTK3, like before it hit GA. Um, We were thinking about like, how can we partner more with other industry leaders in the community to make MRTK even greater, to increase like collaboration, to get more perspectives in that. And I think this steering committee does exactly just that. And it really solidifies MRTK as something like, it's here to stay. MRTK is going to become sort of the leading framework. It already is, but it's going to like further cement itself to sort of establishing like these new 3D interaction standards. And there's just so many companies like coming on board to support this project. And I think it's like such an exciting time for XR. Yeah, yeah, I fully agree. And I I really love that, you know, it actually happened, like you said, that it actually was uh, brought to a more, a broader steering committee and there's more industry input. And 
for sure, you know, OpenXR is is the ground basically, and building yes. on top of it is is an interesting aspect. But still, you would probably have still certain decisions that would favor a certain uh, a device brand, if you will. But now we have this like in full control of a steering committee, and it's much more democratic, and it's um, going to solve a, a, a much brighter uh, platform choice. Mm-hmm. So that's yes, great. exactly. Yeah, um, the MRTK offers quite a lot of features. Actually, folks, if you go on the MRTK website on GitHub, you will see there are so many things in there. And uh, it has grown amazingly well. And also documentation is pretty awesome. I always love the examples. You have like certain, you know, example applications where you can actually um, not just see how you can code it, but actually also how it works. And so you can first try it out before you um, implement things. Um, So it has all these features. And there's also a bunch of new ones, of course, with the MRTK version 3. And so can you just tell us a little bit about some of the, I would say, the highlights of the MRTK3 and what are your personal highlights, of course? Uh huh. Yeah, so very exciting time right now. MRTK3 actually just hit general availability last week. And so for those who haven't tried it, I definitely highly recommend you go to the website and try it out. And there's a few things that I really love about MRTK. In particular, when we made MRTK3, it's a brand new architecture, Renee. It's completely different from MRTK2 in that like we broke down MRTK into sort of many individual packages that people can just sort of pick up and consume. So they can sort of pick and choose what they want from MRTK. And what's so amazing about that is like MRTK is so modular. It's not monolithic at all. And as a result, it's like very performant. It's actually like sort of one of our main goals as we were building out MRTK3. Like something that we would talk about as a team every day was sort of how can we make MRTK3 as performant as possible? And sort of this was sort of the result of that. And another thing I really love about MRTK is it's really exploring sort of like new ways for multimodal interaction. So historically, I feel like a lot of... um, AR, VR devices, they've relied on sort of like controllers or simply like hands for interacting. And in MRTK3, we started exploring like, how can you use like your gaze, your eyes? How can you use voice? Like how can we combine all these different sort of input modalities to create like an even better experience? And in particular, there's one feature in MRTK that I really like. It's called gaze pinch. And this feature, it allows you to simply, you can just, for instance, look at a button with your eye, and then you don't have to align any hand ray. You don't have to actually physically press the button. As long as your hand is like within the field of view of the camera sensor, you can simply just pinch your two fingers together while looking at the button, and then it'll select it. And so that's sort of like an introduction into sort of multimodal uh, inputs, and we're exploring a lot more in MRTK3 currently. And so it's a really exciting space, and there's definitely like a lot more to come in that area. That sounds sounds pretty awesome. And uh, yeah, I mean, natural user interfaces are always a challenge, especially with um, these different input modalities, like you're saying, and combining those, I think, is a, is a key aspect. And especially if you're working on a cross-platform toolkit that supports so many different devices, although it builds on top of the OpenXR stack, um, it's still a challenge, right? Because like you have this diversity of controllers, like also hand input systems work differently, eye tracking, and and so on. So it's it's amazing that this is taken care of, and we as we as developers don't have to worry about it, but just use the MRTK, and then it will work on all these different platforms. This is just mm-hmm. an amazing thing. 
Yeah. And I think it definitely makes things way more accessible to like, if someone doesn't want to use their hands, they can have alternate options. And I think that's something that XR really needs to get better at too, with regards to accessibility. And that's sort of the way forward. I love that. That's a, a, some awesome final words, if, if you will. But of course, you can continue to talk. But I love what you said is like making XR more accessible and more inclusive. And I think exactly what you said is is true, very much true, and has been lagging for a long, long time. And now that you're saying, like, for example, I, I have the eye gaze and then pinch somewhere, right? Like maybe mm -hmm. I cannot lift my arms because I'm disabled, right. whatever. And so this exactly. is enabling a lot of people and it's more inclusive. So that's that's awesome. I love that. Mm -hmm. That's a very good aspect. Well, thank you so much um, for you know joining us to talk about all the amazing stuff with MRTK and also about you as an amazing person, of course. Uh, yeah. Thank you so much, Grace, for joining us today and sharing your insights. That was very much appreciated. Yeah, thank you so much, Renee, for having me. It's an honor being on this podcast. Awesome. Well, and thanks everyone for joining us for Meta Minutes, your bite-sized pieces of the Metaverse. Uh, watch our blog, follow our social media, and subscribe to our Reply Podcast channels on your favorite podcast platforms to not miss the next episode. And of course, you can watch all the previous episodes on reply.com at any time. Until then, take care and see you soon. Bye-bye. <laughs>